welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 5, Episode 5, Red Sky. Yay! I will say, for some reason, I get this episode and Demons, like you know, from a couple seasons ago, I get them sort of like conflated whenever I think about them, because they're like similar kind of settings, almost a bit. Like, yeah, they like did I kind, kind of, of they I did kind, kind of, of revisit that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of just, I don't know, for some reason, I mix them together in my brain a little bit when I think about them. Yeah. Yeah. These kind of these kind of episodes, though, definitely, I definitely agree with Jack for most of them. <laughs> yes. Even though Jack is supposed to be really, I don't know, the most villainous of the episode, that he's supposed to be, like, super ridiculous, and everyone's like, no, calm down. And I'm like, no, they're being idiots. Go off. Please go <laughs> off on them. So I guess I'm, I guess I'm that sort of person that yeah. I kind of identify with that. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure we'll talk about that bit when we get to it a little bit later in the episode, but mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so this episode originally aired on July 2nd, 2001. It was written by Ron Wilkerson, directed by Martin Wood, and on the commentary we have Martin Wood, James Tishner, and da 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 Amanda Tappy! Again? Again, yeah. Yay! Yay. That's exciting. Yes. Yay. So in this episode, SG-1 discovers that their trip through the Stargate may have inadvertently doomed an entire civilization and plead with the Asgard for assistance. Do they give it? (gasps) Let's find out, shall we? (gasps) Okay. So SG-1 come like tumbling out of the gate like they used to do before they fixed the whole planetary shift thing, you know, that happens. And uh, so in the commentary, like that, the the camera angle was just the cameraman, like throwing himself down the steps. I really <laughs> like it. Yeah, me too. It's very, very effective. Yeah. It led me to believe for a split second that they were maybe going to do the whole episode like that. Like, you know, first person shooter kind of point of view. Uh, but then ooh. they went, but then they went back to immediately doing the other way. And I was like, oh, okay. We'll get that in season eight. Don't worry. Ah, okay, cool. <laughs> Gotta wait that long. All right. Yeah, sorry. Mm. Okay. Anyway, uh, so Sam does admit that they had to override some dialing protocols to get a lock on this gate, which, why would you do that? Like, from the get-go, I'm like, why are you even here? You should not be here. Like, yeah, don't do that. Um. But anyway, like there's a reason the planet's not locking. It's probably a good one. Yeah. Okay. I know we don't really do memos anymore, but like that needs to be the memo. For <laughs> like if you can't get a lock, move on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jack comments about like how bright it is here. And apparently that's because uh, this planet is much closer to their sun than Earth is. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that also make it way hotter, though? I mean, I guess the the tilt might also have to do with that. Like, you know, how we, you know, summer, winter, depends on the tilt of the axis. Mm. Possibly. Maybe. You sound Maybe. very professional. Oh, I do. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yes. <laughs> um, so I will say, like, in the commentary, a lot of it was them talking about, like, the technical aspects of, like, the coloring of this episode. Because it is very unlike 
it doesn't look like every other episode's very sort of green and lush and blah 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 and this is very sort of like washed out even like before we get right. to the whole like redshift thing mm-hmm. so if you're interested in that kind of technical filmmaking stuff go listen to the commentary because there is some like very interesting stuff there about how they actually like processed the film to get this look so well nowadays you could just probably put a filter on it though unfortunately (laughs) you don't have to have so much of an art to it yeah since it's all digital just do whatever you want to do in post Um, it's fascinating to learn those techniques though yes uh, so they then take notice of like baskets of like food and flowers around the gate, and there's this like s- little stone like I don't want to say it's a tombstone, but it's like it's sort of like the size of a tombstone. It did look tombstone esque. <laughs> like That's what I gate. thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't think it is a tombstone, but it's sort of that. It's a little bit taller maybe than your average tombstone, but that kind of a thing. Um, and Daniel checks out the writing and says it's similar to the writings on Samaria, even though he does he doesn't know what it says because you need time to translate things. Um, <laughs> I love how that was another one of those instances where where Daniel was like, "Oh, look at this! I didn't see this." And Jack was like, "What does it say?" And he's like, "I don't know." I don't, and Jack immediately know. was like, "Ugh." <laughs> you're, you're used to me. Yeah. So there's a there's a suggestion that perhaps this planet is one of uh, the planets in the sort of Asgard protected planets treaty with the Gould. But interestingly, there's no like Thor's hammer type device like there was on Samaria. So mm-hmm. Tilk is safe so far. So far, uh, indeed. Yes. Jack then spots someone sort of hiding behind. There's sort of like corn or like like just tall grasses around the gate. Uh, and Jack is like, you come here. Like quite aggressively for basically an alien invader to be like you come here now like yeah, especially since they have weapons yes yes, yes. Mm-hmm. it was like maybe tone down the aggressiveness a little bit yeah. yeah um but so the man comes out and several other people dressed in fairly simple clothing and they're also carrying more baskets of like food and flowers and things step out daniel does his whole we come in peace thing uh but he also includes that they are from a place that these people might know as midgard because of the whole Samaria rune mm-hmm. situation thing. Uh, the man introduces himself as Elrad Flamen of the 39th Order of Katow. They were making their way to the Annulus for the morning prayers when they like saw the Kush. Uh, fun fact, Annulus is a real word. It's just like, it's, it just means ring. Oh, so, fun. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense. Um, mm. Also, uh, in the commentary, because like uh, the vi- like village women have come out at this point, along with uh, Elrad and Amanda, mentioned something called the Puffin Ruffle, which just <laughs> brought back so many memories of. Uh, so, oh. so, so the Puffin Ruffle is it was a term that was coined on set and then uh, mentioned at Stargate conventions for the. <laughs> The, the, the behavior that the men on set do when there are attractive female extras on set. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, like as, as in a sort of, it's a reference to like uh, male chickens. Like they puff out their chest and they like ruffle their feathers and be like, look at me. Aren't I so attractive and handsome and, you know. Peacocking in a way. A bit, yes, yes. if you will. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. But if anybody has ever been to a Stargate convention, Puff and Ruffle, please remember and uh, enjoy that memory of people demonstrating <laughs> the Puff and Ruffle on stage. Uh, because I was just like, oh, yes, the Puff and Ruffle. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there it is, yes. 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 Uh, 
so Elred then points at Tilk and calls him an enemy of the gods. And Jack jumps in to correct him and that like Tilk is actually a good, very, a very good friend of Thor. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is very great news for these people that like he's and Elrod is like Frere has sent us friends. So apparently Frere is their mm-hmm. protector. Would you like to know some more fun facts about Frere? I would. Doesn't Frere mean something in French like mon frère, my, my uh, brother? Yes, it's it's spelled differently, but Frere is the French word for a brother. Uh, yes, okay. as in like Frère Jacques. Yes. 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 All right. Okay, so in Norse mythology, Frer is associated with uh, kingship, fertility, peace, and weather. So that's sort of like the sun and rain that Daniel references here. Uh, according to Snorri Sturluson, uh, like Nora history, a person way back in like According Norse to history, who now? Snorri Sturluson. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, Frer was the most renowned of the Asir which is uh, the Asir are one of the two pantheons of Norse gods. Um, however, in the poetic Edda and the prose Edda, which I believe we mentioned back when we first went to Sumeria, Frere is said to be one of the Vanir, which is like the other pantheon of Norse gods. Um, the two pantheons did at some point wage war on each other and eventually just became one. So hmm. I guess it's sort of up in the air which pantheon Frere comes from. Okay, so one of the coolest things about Frere is that he supposedly has the best boat of all of the Norse gods. Uh, like, it always had the best winds behind it. Uh, and the, So the boat itself is called Skidbladnir, Skidbladnir, I think. I'm sorry. Skidbladnir? <laughs> what is it? How do you spell it? Skid, um, there's a whole bunch of there's weird accents in, there and, in okay. it. There's... Yeah, there no umlauts, but like a whole bunch of weird accents on vowels that we don't have in the English language. Um, okay. But the coolest thing is that when this boat is not being used, it can be folded up and carried in a pouch. <gasps> I want one. I know. I want one too. That's really cool. Wait, it unfolds to be an entire boat? Yeah, like a huge boat. Like, yeah, massive boat. That's so cool. I know. I'm going to go, go Frere. I know. I want it too. It sounds right. so cool. The Frere boat. Yeah. Skidbladnir. I'm going to ask for that for Christmas. We'll just see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the other, so th- the most like extensive myth surrounding Frere involves him falling in love with the Jotun Gerdor. Uh, the Jotun are sometimes called giants, um, especially if you're familiar with like the MCU, like the frost giants, like the Jotun and stuff, although mm-hmm. they're not necessarily in Norse mytho- mythology, like actually large in stature in terms of like what you would think of when you picture a giant. Um, but anyway, so he had to give away his sword in order to marry her, uh, but ended up defeating the Jotun belly by using an antler. Mm-hmm. And so because he doesn't have his sword, Frere is fated to be killed by the fire Jotun Sutur during Ragnarok. Oh. Yes. Well, that's unfortunate. It is. So that's Frere for you. <laughs> Did you practice that one before you had to say it? So that's Frere for, for you. I know. I didn't even think about that. No, that's that just happened? That just yeah. happened, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Because I'm a professional podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. Yay. 
Um, but like, I do find it interesting that it seems like the like the Asgard protected planets have a designated protector. Like Thor was the protector of Samaria, Freyr is the protector here on Katow. That is pretty interesting. Yeah, that somebody's kind of assigned yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah, and they do mention it in this episode, but it was interesting and more apparent how how they protecting these planets also pose as gods. Yes. 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 Yeah. Quite interesting. Yes. You don't really you don't really notice it until it's done like multiple times and then you're like, wait. How is this any better than the gold? Like I know the gold are evil, but it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. But you're you're pretending to be a god. Not one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Elrod takes SG one to their village, which it's like it's well built and clean, but these are definitely not like a technological people. Like they haven't advanced that far in their development and like Daniel seems Utterly fascinated by what he's seeing here. As he uh, does. Yeah. Elrad then introduces them to Brother Malchus, their chief acolyte. And Malchus demands that they leave and points out the mark of evil that Tilk has. And Elrad tries to appease him and calls Tilk a friend of Thor. But Malchus is, like, not having any of this and says, the people will not stand for this. To which Elrad replies, you mean you will antagonize them until they agree with you. <laughs> Which I so, love. Yes. I'm like, that's a fun relationship to just, like, establish that way. Love it. We know where they stand. Mm-hmm. Um, so Malchus kind of storms off. Uh, Elrod asks SG-1 to forgive Malchus. But Katow has never been visited by the elves before. <gasps> which, Yay. yeah. So Frere does have domain over the realm of the elves. Mm-hmm. And since they came through the annulus, you know, they think they're elves. Mm-hmm. Um then I would be okay sudden, with that. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to be an elf? Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the sky turns red. Uh, what's going on? Nobody knows. Like, not even Sam. Malchus accuses SG-1 of doing this and that they are the harbingers of their doom as we cut to the opening credits. I mean, that Malchus guy, I kind of tried to think, like, what he would be like in everyday situations of, like... <laughs> You are eating an apple before noon. You are the harbinger of your own doom. Like, wow. Yeah. He's a very extreme person. He's a very intense person, yes. Yes. So we come back from the opening credits, basically right where we left off. Um, The villagers head to the Hall of Wisdom to pray for forgiveness. Sam's, like, poking around at one of her sensors. But all she can tell at this point is that the light from the sun shifted towards the infrared spectrum. And if it continues, then all of the plants will die, so there will be no oxygen and yada, yada, yada. Uh, She does say that the Malp should be able to give them some more information, so Jack orders her and Tilk to go back to the Malp, and he and Daniel will follow the others to the Hall of Wisdom and see if they might be able to get in touch with the Asgard somehow to, like, ask Mm -hmm. for help. So uh, Jack and Daniel enter the church where Elrad and Malchus are praying, they apologize for interrupting and ask if they can tag along when they go speak with Frere and like, you know, maybe they could put in a good word for these people. So yeah. Alrod's like, of course. So they walk up to the altar and uh, Elrod says like a prayer of some sort, some sort. And then Malchus presses a large jewel on this sort of obelisk type object. And they get beamed away in that like Asgard beam of light that they do. That like you do. Yes. Yes. 
Um, so fun fact, sort of like from the commentary and research. Uh, so the village set that they're in uh, was like a set built on a stage so they could control the lighting and like make it like redder as they needed to because red light is difficult uh, to process on film. <laughs> Apparently yeah. it can very easily like blow things out. Um, but this church is a actual is a real location and had like very minimal set dressing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is called, oh, where did I put that? Uh, it is called uh, the Christ Redeemer Church in Surrey, British Columbia. Oh, um, really? It's like over 100 years old. Hmm. Um, basically, the only set dressing they did was to take down the electric lights and put in candles. But everything else is just, that's what the church looks like. So. Oh, wow. With the, with the exception of the Frere altar? Yes, thing. and like, yeah, and the rare, like, obelisk thing, yes. But yeah. It's a very cool set, yeah. Hmm, yeah, cool place. So after they get beamed away, they then appear in that sort of typical Asgard cave-like thing, stripped of all of their weapons. We get the hologram of a, like, human Viking-looking Frere pops up. Uh, Elrad and Malchus try to plead with it as they fear that the change to their son is a sign that Ragnarok is upon them. Frere obviously is a recording and so offers sort of vague and non-committal platitudes to this whole situation and doesn't really help anything. Wouldn't they have noticed before that he's saying the same things over and over again? So I, I did see this. I think there must be some sort of programming where keywords in the things people say trigger certain responses from the hologram. Maybe. So because here and then the scene later, there's sort of similar words being said by the people who are addressing Frere. We get the similar sort of response from Frere. Mm. But okay. like how how Elrad how El and Malchus react makes me think, you know, Ragnarok has not been mentioned before. Right. When they've gone to talk to Frere. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so they get beamed back to the church, and Malchus says it's Ragnarok. Elrad agrees with him, and Jack's like, that's maybe a little negative. What, what was it that Fur actually said? It was like, your faith will be challenged, or like something like that. And they come back, and they're like, we're all going to die. <laughs> uh, yeah, what did he actually say? Um, let me see. Let's see. We have, you are wise to seek my counsel, but only through faith will you prove worthy of my benevolence. Then, oh, here we go. Okay. Likewise, you must face your own fears as you now enter the ultimate conflict. How you deal with fear is how you will prove your worthiness. I wish you well on your voyage. Mm -hmm. We're all going to die. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So they all think it's Ragnarok. Jack's like, "Eh, maybe that's really. Uh, And then Daniel kind of quietly is like, sure you want to get in the middle of this whole thing and Jack's like we're kind of already in the middle of this whole thing so yeah yeah yeah. uh Jack then speaks up and tries to get the people to see that maybe they do have some say in what happens because you know Freyr doesn't do their farming Freyr doesn't build their houses they have free will maybe this is just another challenge for them to solve and prove themselves and not just the end of the world that they can't do anything about and Jack which I like Yes, and she's like, we've worked miracles before. 
but everybody's just kind of like, Ragnarok, bad. And so they all leave. And Daniel's just like, miracles? Like, wh- like what are you talking about, miracles? And Jack's like, you know, whatever it is that Sam comes up with, they'll, they'll just see it as a miracle. Which, like, <sighs> Jack, come on. Really? Leaving it all on Sam? Like, I get it. But also, like, really? Yeah. It's but it's definitely remembering the story, which I'm going to tell extremely wrong, where, like, somebody is, I don't know, like, stranded on their roof, you know, in a flood, and, like, a boat comes by, and they're like, no, God will save me, and, like, you know, other things come by, and like, no, God will save me, and then they drown, and then they're like, oh, God, why didn't you save me? And God's like, what are you talking about? I sent you the boat, I sent you the Coast Guard, I sent you this, and it's like, yeah. It yes. reminded me so much of that situation where it's like, you believe so much in this God, but the God has blessed you with a brain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to think and figure your own yes. situation out. Like, yes. how could you possibly doubt that? I don't know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's it's very reminiscent of like, our God will save us. Okay, but how maybe your god will save you because you have these people here who are going to help you yes maybe that's how your god is saving you because you have intelligent people that figure things out yes 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 Mm -hmm. so jack and daniel head back out into like the village square meet up with sam and tilk and sam thinks she's figured out what went wrong and so you remember all those like dialing protocols that they had to work around to get the gate to connect to here so apparently that was because Earth and this planet are in such an arrangement that the wormhole went through their sun. And like that on its own shouldn't be enough to cause the problem that we're seeing here. But if a super heavy element, which Sam thinks might be plutonium, sort of tagged along for the ride and then like got dropped off in their sun, then like that's what we're seeing happen here. And Jack's like, but Sam can fix it, right? really yeah i mean she uh, would blow up the sun it's not out of the realm of possibility that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so in the commentary martin wood mentions that uh he actually wanted sg1 to lose and actually not be able to solve the problem like not fix it he, oh. he did not want the end of the episode that we got because Part of, part of the reason for that is, like, at this point, you know, like, these war characters are never going to die. They're the main cast. They're not going to die. So there needs to be some kind of way to show that they're fallible and do make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes can't be fixed that don't involve, like, a person dying. You know, one of them dying. At least, I mean, they're, like, mm-hmm. dooming a planet to death. But... Yeah, there are consequences. A, yes. Like, some way to sort of raise the stakes that don't involve a character in a perilous situation that you know is going to get resolved and fixed and blah, 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 because they're the main character. Mm-hmm. So, but like even Amanda agreed with him. That was like, yeah, that would have been cool to see us not win the day at the end of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Audiences would not have enjoyed that though. Nah. They would have been like, but I meh. I don't know. I think, I, I think it would have been interesting to see them. Yeah. Not fix it to see this problem not be solved. I would have thought it was good because that's kind of what we've been talking about the whole yes. time. <laughs> like they're just trampsing around other people's planets, not yep. caring. Good yep. lord. Yep. But I think I think we would have been in the minority. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So SG1 then head back to the, the church to go back to Dr. Frere and Jack. Uh, advises Tuck to like wait outside since this is an Asgard device and you know they don't want anything to happen to him because they don't exactly know how that might treat a Jaffa here. So they approach the obelisk up at the altar and Daniel tries to remember the prayer that they said when Jack just touches the stone and he's like, oh, we could just do that. Or I could just yes. hit the button. Yeah. Or I just hit the button. Back in the cave, the Viking hologram appears, starts this pre-recorded message. Sam starts, uh, she like opens the control panel that's sort of on the back wall and starts moving that sort of Asgard mouse <laughs> around, if you yeah. will. Um, it manages to do something that must alert someone somewhere that something's happening because so that like somebody Viking, knows how to move the toys. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, like the hologram disappears and shortly after the real Frere, although still a hologram, uh, pops up. So we now have the Asgard Frere there with us. SG-1 explaining the whole situation and like what they did and like what's going on and ask Frere slash the Asgard in general for help to fix their son. To which Frere just says, it is not the Asgard's responsibility to undo every error you make with technology that is advanced beyond your knowledge. Like... Oh, oh so true. Like it hurts, but it's so true. It's like, oh, oh. I hate you, but you're right. Oh, it's true. It's 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 a tough pill to swallow, but there it is. Mm, true, but at what cost do they exactly. learn their lesson? <laughs> so that's kind of like what this episode is about from here. Like, yeah. At what cost do they learn At their what cost? Yeah. So, you know, Jack doesn't like this whole thing. The Asgard is supposed to protect these people. And Frere's like, yes, from the Gould, not people doing stupid shit. <laughs> Jack then asks to speak to the manager. <laughs> <laughs> he does do very caring, doesn't he? He does. He's like, okay, can yeah. I speak to who's actually in charge of it? Um, so he is taken via hologram to meet the Asgard High Council. And according to the commentary, so all of those Asgard puppets that we see as the Asgard High Council are just the different iterations of the Thor puppet that they've had over the oh. years. Oh, okay. So they're like, they didn't have to build anything. They just got everybody out of storage and put them in their chairs. So that's okay. what and there, yeah. there were a lot of empty chairs, too, around the room. Hmm. Yeah, the room. it definitely it definitely looks like it's sort of their, like, I don't know, Senate, if you will. But it was very Star Warsy. It was quite like yeah, Galactic Council, Galactic yeah. Senate. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Also, so I was wondering why why they assumed that like Jack was the only one allowed to step onto the pedestal because like they were all speaking. Yeah, I mean Daniel does do the thing of like, do you want me to do the whole diplomatic thing? And Jack's like, no, I got, it. I got it. It's which fine. he should because that's kind of why he's there. I know, but also Jack's the leader, so. Yeah. But in dealing uh, with other cultures, that's kind of why Daniel is there. But also Jack is like Thor's best friend, so. <laughs> Jack's got more of an in with the Asgard than I think Daniel does at this point. I thought all yeah. three of them should have gone, at least. You I, know. Show it, I, mean, I mean, that little hologram platform is only so big, so maybe there's only, they can only tran hologram one person? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Frere was pretty big on that pedestal. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, he was about as big as Jack, so... But if you look at the platform, it's not much bigger than, like, a single person could stand on. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so Jack starts pleading their case to all of these Asgard to help who are still refusing to do anything. Uh, we do get some funny cuts back to like Sam and Daniel trading looks as, as, as they basically see Jack like ranting and raving to a wall because they obviously can't see the Asgard High Council, but they can yeah. see Jack doing what he does. Yeah. Uh, at one point, Jack says something about saving their little gray butts, and Daniel's just like, <sighs> uh, yeah. So basically, the Asgard aren't going to help, even though they can. So Jack's like, why? Like, tell me why. That's sort of what this hinges on. Like, why won't you help? And so the head of the High Council says, the treaty states that the people of a planet categorized as protected will be free from Gould dom domination. However, subsection 42 states that the people on those planets cannot be artificially advanced through Asgard technological means. Using our technology to prevent a natural disaster would be a violation of that order and would nullify the treaty as a whole. The Gould would be free to invade any of the protected planets, including Earth. So they're basically you know classifying. What? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what I did not interpret that the same way they did, because they said something about um, they can't interfere uh, for natural disaster. Or so, like, they can't yes. interfere in natural things. But, like, this yes. wasn't a natural occurrence. But the thing is, like, this is, like, what happens at the end of a, sun, of a star's life. The fact that it was sort of done accidentally is still within the sort of natural disaster classification well, of things for the according planet, to them but also not the people like who knows if you know by the time that actually happened the people might have been advanced enough to know what to do about it themselves but they're not at this point when it's happening right it is a very yeah tricky situation of yeah yeah yeah. I did. I did not agree with their interpretation. I because it was not something that naturally happened to them. No. 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 Definitely wasn't. No. Mm -mm. No. no. Mm -mm. Um, but then they also bring up like they're still fighting the replicator, so they don't have the means to try and defend every planet if the treaty should be broken. So they're leaving it up to SG One to fix this. <laughs> so goodbye. Okay. Bye. Thanks. See you later. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Mm so they're back in the village, and Sam thinks she has an idea of how to fix this and uh, picks up some fruit to demonstrate, which Amanda does not like demonstrating physics with fruit. <laughs> oh, she said that? Yes. <laughs> so uh, plutonium is an unstable element. So according to, to Sam, if they can find a super heavy, more stable element, they can introduce that element into the sun. It will bond with the plutonium and fix this problem. The only problem is like such super heavy stable elements don't occur naturally on Earth. They there there may be some that are being created in super colliders, Meh. Um, but it's uh, it's at least a place to start. So Sam's gonna head back to the SGC to start seeing if they can make this plan work. Would you like some fun facts about stable and unstable elements and plutonium and all of this fun physics and chemistry stuff that they're talking about here? Would I ever? Give it to me now. Okay. So my first question was like, like what makes an element unstable? Like what does that mean? Uh, an element is unstable it does, if it does not have an equal number of protons and neutrons. In the case of plutonium, plutonium has 94 protons and electrons, but has 150 neutrons. 
So therefore it's unstable because it's it, it, elements want to have the same number of all of those parts of them. My next question was, so can you make an unstable element stable by introducing a heavier stable element to bond with it? Is that a thing? Long story short, no. This is just complete bullshit, and that's not how any of this works. <laughs> oh, fantastic. It's just, it, this, is not, this is not how things work. The only way unstable elements become un, become stable is like through the decaying and the half-life and all of that stuff. So this is complete bullshit. Oh, fantastic. I wonder who thought of that then. Uh, who have, Ron Wilkerson, who wrote the episode. All right, cool. Um, but, so, fun fact to this fun fact. Uh, in 2019, scientists at the Helmholtz Zentrum Dresden Rosendorf accident, accidentally found a quote-unquote stable form of plutonium while studying how to safely, like, transport and store plutonium. Because, you know, plutonium is one of the most, like, not good things that we have here. Um, so figuring out, how to, figuring out how to deal with it safely is a very important thing. Um, yeah. So they were doing... very technical right now. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so they were doing some experiments. And um, so there is a form of plutonium called plutonium dioxide that is one of the safer and slightly more stable forms of plutonium so they were working with uh plutonium six there's like what there's like plutonium one two three four five and six i'm not quite sure what those numbers mean chris tried to explain it to me but i didn't quite get it but so they were working with plutonium six to turn it into plutonium dioxide and as it passed through the plutonium five stage it was suddenly like solid and stable which it usually isn't uh, they did do some further tests and even went back three months later and it, it, it's still stable. Um, they don't quite know what it means or what they could do with it, but it's very interesting. All right. So maybe there is a stable form of plutonium out there that would be good good to have around. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a chemist. I don't quite I don't quite understand everything I just said, but <laughs> there there you go. Fantastic. Stable plutonium. Stable Time plutonium. travel might be possible. Sure. Why not? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in DeLorean. Let's go. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Why not? <laughs> okay. So back at the SGC, Sam is explaining the plan to General Hammond, which is basically get a rocket, send it through the gate in pieces along with the whatever heavy elements they find to come up with assemble it on Katow and launch it into the sun. And Hammond obviously is like, I'm sorry, you want to do what? Mm -hmm. And he's also like, how many like, rockets do you think we have? Yes. And also like, what about like the time frame? Like how long do the people of Katow have before this is a very bad situation for them? So Sam says that the sun has about three months before the damage is irreversible. So if they can launch the rocket within three weeks, they'll be okay. Uh, but still, she needs a rocket, and they don't exactly have those just lying around. And she's like, well, there is this thing happening at Vandenberg that there's going to be a launch of a rocket there soon. Apparently, she wants that rocket. And Hammond's like, that project? Like, we've spent how much money on that project, and you just want to, like, commandeer that rocket? And she's like, well, how can you put a price on the people of Katow? She's a I want that rocket. 
I mean, yes. So I was kind of wondering, all of these trips that they're making back and forth to Katow, isn't that making it worse? I had the exact same thought. Like, if the problem is that the wormhole went through the sun, shouldn't they not go back and forth dozens of times? Yeah. (laughs) I I couldn't figure out how they all thought that was okay. I know, unless, like, a day is long enough to get the planetary alignment in, like, a safe position so it's not going through the sun anymore. Maybe. I don't know how planetary alignment works, but I, yeah, I had the exact same thought of, like, stop going back and forth between Earth and Katow. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. You're apparently making it worse. Yes. So, fun fact, Vandenberg Air Force Base is a real Air Force Base. Uh, It works mostly with, like, space-related testing and launching rockets and stuff. And today, it is one of the official locations for the Space Force Agency. Oh, fantastic. Uh, One of the fun facts I read is that the first GPS satellite was launched from Vandenberg. Hmm. When do you think that happened? First GPS. Yes. Mm, 1992. February 22nd, 1978. Really? Yep. Hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. There you go. So apparently yeah. they're going to work on getting a rocket from Vandenberg Air Force Base. So. Oh, okay. Cool. Which apparently they do because we get three weeks later and we're back on Katow and we can see there's like a rocket being built down in like a valley, you know, like sort of near the gate, but like sort of in the, the opposite direction of the village from the gate, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, up in the village, Malchus is not happy with any of this. He doesn't like what they're doing. The sun's still not fixed. There's too many outsiders there now because, you know, there's a whole crew there, like, building the rocket and all of that stuff. Elrad and SG-1 and Minus Sam try to, like, calm him down and, like, be like, this is a good, it's fine, we're going to be okay, and he's still not having it. And Malchus says, if you can't see that the gods wish you to leave, then we will be forced to make it clear on their behalf. Which that that doesn't sound like good thing. No. Back at the SGC, Sam comes through as we see Siler working on a part of the rocket, along with fun fact cameo by Martin Wood as one of the like techs with the big wrench working on the rocket with Siler. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and apparently things are actually ahead of schedule, which is great. Is that, how often does that happen? Like never. Uh, Sam asks about the super heavy element, HU-2340. Apparently it was even more difficult to get a hold of than the rocket, but like, don't worry, it's here. So enter Dr. McLaren and it comes in and there's this like thermos in like a big padded case thing. Uh, And it took him five years to make that little amount of HU-2340, which that apparently is accurate. According to my husband, who is much smarter about these things, like making elements in the super collider, you make like minuscule amounts of it at a time. Um, so was that a cameo actor or something? I felt like yeah. it had to be. No, no, just he's, he's just man. He did really well that they mentioned that in the commentary that like he was great. He came in for just like a day and like just totally nailed it. Yeah, yes. he's just I actor. totally thought he was a cameo of somebody like actually super sciencey and famous. No. No, just an actor. He did fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
So, but, but apparently, you know, even though like this is his life's work, well, five years worth of his life's work, like getting a look at the SGC has been worth it, apparently, according mm-hmm. to him, which I mean, I think it would be, yes. Um, and Sam's like, you know, thank you very much. And maybe one day you can visit the people that your McLarium is saving. And he's Aww. like, <gasps> McLarium? You're going to name it after me? It's like, of course they're going to name it after you. Like, what else? What yeah. else are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but so he hands off the element and wishes them luck. Mm-hmm. Yay. So back on Katow, like they're sort of, uh, Sam comes through the gate and Jack is there and they're talking about how things are going and they basically got all, everything that they need. They're now finally on the planet and they're almost ready to f- actually launch the rocket. And then Sam looks over and sees smoke coming out of like the, mm-hmm. the, the rocket platform and then the whole thing explodes. And so, uh, <sighs> she and Jack go running. We then... Cut to the villages, Sam and Jack kind of come, like, not really running in, but, like, walking very forcefully and with a purpose. And Daniel's like, what happened? And Jack just, like, unstraps his P90, hands it to Tilk, as Sam tells Daniel that two members of SG-6 died when the whole rocket was destroyed. And Jack just grabs Malchus, throws him to the ground, lays into him, yelling, punches him like he's you've doomed your whole planet and then like he pulls out his handgun and like holds it to like malchus's chest and everybody's like stop and even elrad please pleads that more death serves no one and jack's like well more death is what you're gonna get oh i mean i was with him in that moment because he asked like why wasn't it you and he was like i gladly would have died like but you didn't did you fucking coward <laughs> yes you had other people go do it yes and like yeah i think we're as much as like don't you can't just murder people like please murder this nut job like oh like you totally get where jack is coming from mm-hmm. completely and yep. yeah um so at this point amanda mentioned something in the commentary and i had the exact same thought does the actor who plays elrad he sounds so much like the actor who played Belle's dad from the Disney Beauty and the Beast animated feature from like 1999. Mm-hmm. Like, like, is it just me? Cause it's like one of my favorite movies, but like every time I hear him, I like hear, he just, he sounds like Belle's dad. Oh. He's yeah. so much. Jazz. Especially in this scene where he's like more death serves. No one sounds exactly like some line from Beauty and the Beast that I can't think of off the top of my head right now, but it's just like, why do you sound like that guy? It's not the same guy. I checked. Hmm. It's not the same guy, but he's not related. Nope. But he just, he sounds so much like him. It's weird. I did not have that thought, but yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can hear it. You mean? Yes. (laughs) I can see hearing. (laughs) Okay. So let's go back around the gate. We see like injured SGC members. SGC members getting ready to head back and a couple of like body bags get driven up and ready to head back to earth. And Jack is like, he's ready to like wash his hands of this whole situation. He's done. He just wants to go. Uh, Everybody else tries to convince him to stay to try and figure things out. And Sam's like, this is all my fault. I can't just leave. And like, yes, Malchus did a truly horrible thing, but you can't hold that against everybody else here because not everybody agrees with Malchus and his actions and Jack kind of finally calms down a bit, which it, it's really interesting, like, what happens because Jack is like, they killed two of our men. And Daniel's like, yes, they did. Which, like, it validates Jack's feelings, 
of like anger and hurt and all of that, but also that's not everybody else's fault. You know, like, yes, what Malchus did killed two people, but everybody else isn't Malchus. So, you know what I thought would have made this better, though, is because you don't actually you don't actually ever hear from anyone in the village. Yes, please help us. Yeah. There's always either you've doomed us, you're terrible, go away, you're demons, or the gods will save us, it will all be fine. There's absolutely no one in that village ever that says, we're grateful for your help, yes, please help us. And I think that really would have helped (laughs) somewhere in there. Even if there's like one person that's like, thank you, the gods have sent us to, have sent you to us to help us, yay. Like nothing, there's none of that. At no point in time does anyone ever actually communicate that they appreciate and want it. Yeah, yeah. You only hear it from SG-1. So it doesn't really sound believable because it just sounds like that's what they're saying at the time to calm him down. Yeah, I mean, we do see that, like, Elrad is like, please forgive Malchus, he's the loony of the bunch, um, which seems to imply that most of these people aren't on Malchus's side, but, yeah, even even Elrad isn't really, if anybody's going to say something like, maybe these people are here, be, maybe these people were sent by the gods, it would be him, but even, yeah, he doesn't really He does not, he says say nothing, that. no. no. Doesn't. Mm. He's just like, meh. God. The will. We're going to die. We're going to die. Yeah. 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 That is interesting. Yeah. I think that is something that the script was missing. I can see that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So Jack kind of finally calms down. It's like, okay. So, like, like, what are our options here? Like, what can we do? Daniel suggests offering relocation. They might not take it, but they can at least offer it as an option, and then the decision would really, truly be in their hands. Uh, Sam wants to head back to the SGC to run most more simulations, as they do still have the McLarium. Like, that was not destroyed in the explosion, so that's good. Uh, so we cut to Daniel in the church telling the people that they have the option to leave. You know, the sun is dying. It doesn't look like it's going to be fixed, so... Maybe you can start over somewhere else. Uh, and we sort of through Daniel's speech, you see people getting up and then be like, oh, no, we can't. No, this is ridiculous what this person is saying. Uh, and Elrad does like sort of officially refuse on the behalf of his people. And it's like, if it's the God's will that they die, then so be it. Mm-hmm. So they leave the church and Jack, Jack's just like, OK, can we go now? And like he's kind of pissed that Daniel wouldn't say just like what needed to be said. So apparently he's going to go say it himself, which Daniel's like, what? What are you going to say? Which always Don't. works out so well. I know. Because he always does it so eloquently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he heads back to, like, the center of the village, hops up on a box, and just basically tells all of these people the truth. Like, the actual truth. Frere is not that big Viking guy. He's a little gray alien with a, space she- with a spaceship. He could help them, but he's chosen not to. And but this does not change anybody's mind. Elrad is very sorry for what has happened, but it's like it's time for them to leave. So, okay, they'll be on their way. Back in Sam's lab at the SGC, Jack and Hammond are there listening to her latest plan that has a whopping 1% chance of success. Woohoo! Woohoo! 
so after making some additional calculations, she's figured out that if they send the McLarium through the gate and then shut it down before it reaches Katow, it should stop inside their sun, do the whole bonding with plutonium, fix it, yay, everybody lives. Jack is confused because when things go through the gate, they're just energy and the other gate is what turns the thing back into itself. And Sam's just like, you are 100% correct. And Jack's just like, oh my God, they got something right. Like, what? I was right. Hold on. Oh my God. I, I like that. But, you know, if you're talking about like a person, that's a very bad thing. But in the case of just an element, it should be fine. So that's the plan. Let's okay. give it a go. So in the gate room, we see the McLarium strapped to a mount being prepped to be sent through. It goes through. They like count three, two, one, shut it down. And there's really only only one way to know if it worked, which my question here is, why did they waste a mouth? Couldn't they just like toss the McLarium through the wormhole? <laughs> like, yeah. did it have to be stretched? Like, let the wormhole establish, send Siler up, hold in the, you know, thermos of McLarium and just toss it through? I don't know. Maybe they could easier, easily calculate the rate of travel. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know either. I don't know. So we get back to Katow, and Daniel and Tilk are with the people in the village square as Elrad leads them all in prayer. Jack and Sam come back, but the sky is still red. Like, it's very red at this point. It's quite dark. It, it seems Sam's plan did not work. So there's nothing else for them to do, so they're just going to head back to Earth. Daniel wants to tell these people what has happened or not happened i guess in this case and actually say goodbye uh so he explains everything tells them again that they have the option to leave but still no they're not going to do that elrad beseeches Frere to forgive them their sins and daniel joins in the prayer asking that their light be returned which elrad seems to appreciate and it, it is it is kind of a very touching moment at the end where like he, these people are being doomed to die <laughs> and there's nothing that can be done a- anyway goodbye we're, we're gonna go now they start to head back to the gate when suddenly the sky clears up. It goes back to normal. It's It's been fixed. Somehow, the Asgard said they couldn't help. And Jack's just like, not overtly. So maybe by SG-1 just trying to fix it, the Asgard were able to step in and actually fix it. Maybe. I don't know how that logic works. I don't either. And we'll never really know for sure. And that's the end. Hmm. Very ambiguous ending. Yes. So did you decide in your mind what happened? I do think the Asgard fixed it. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's like the the McLarium ended up just kind of floating in space somewhere and the Asgard were able to like be like beam it into the sun or the Asgard had some other way of fixing it. Hmm. I don't know. Possible deniability kind of way? Exactly. Yes. Like, no, SG, SG-1 did it. They had this whole plan. Look, here, see, this is their work. Show, show them their, you know, chalkboard drawings of luck. <laughs> SG-1 fixed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Energy and the wormhole and the thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plausible deniability. Yes. What about you? What do you, what do you think? Eh, yeah. Yeah. I think they fixed it with plausible deniability. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's if only they could wink. And be like, no, nope, <laughs> we didn't do a thing. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they can, though. Man. No. No. The Asgard <laughs> puppets don't move so well. They do not wink, but that would have been awesome. Yeah. yeah would have, yep. They just uh, get a handwritten note that says, we're even now, bitch. 
<laughs> we don't ask him for any butts. more. <laughs> don't ask for any more favors, jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Some, yeah, that'd be nice. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so the title Red Sky, I mean, that's what happened here. And all of the foreign territory titles are just Red Sky in that language. So nothing really fun. Man, there. Days. No. Yeah, we haven't had much fun stuff in season five yet. No. Yet. Yeah. Yet. Means there's see. hope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so final, so overall thoughts. Yes, no. How do we like this episode? I don't usually enjoy the episodes where they have like small village with the religious connotations and someone's always like demons out and because it really just I mean they do I I myself am not a particularly religious person but I don't like how they always they always twist and I think we talked about this last time they always make it such small mindedness yes which I I would assume is just a very small portion of religious people that exist of course they're usually the loudest but I I genuinely believe that more often people would be more (laughs) open-minded I you would think you would hope faith situations that they wouldn't just be like the gods have cursed us we'll just sit here and die like I don't yeah Yeah, Yeah, I don't I I don't like understand that mindset yeah I don't so and that just seems to be you know the same people that they put in every single episode that they have where it's a religious connotation type of thing yeah I don't enjoy that so this kind of episode for me is just like meh yeah yeah it's fine yeah it's okay Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find us on Instagram at SG underscore rewatch. And now on Discord, please check the show notes for the links. Or you can send us an email at woo, that's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Rite of Passage. Bye. Bye. Bye.